Psalm 119, beginning at verse 169. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you, and let your roles help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. May God bless the preaching of his word. Do not have to spend too much time around a Christian to realize they are not perfect. You quickly find out that Christians sin. Christians fail to follow the word of God. Christians at times act like someone who has not been saved by the blood of Jesus. This can be disillusioning. This can be frustrating at times. But if you are a Christian this morning and you're real honest with yourself, you know you are not perfect either. And if you're real honest with yourself and you, you really evaluate your words, the things you do, the way you react, and even the things that you think, they are often loaded with sin. The reality is that even Christians sin. On the day we're saved, we're not made perfect. We need to wait till Christ returns for that. But until that day, we struggle with our sin nature. We still can fall into sin as Christians. And, and what we find in our passage this morning is someone who has a saving relationship with God and they're real about their sin. And they show us a proper way of addressing our sin as Christians. So if you're not there already, turn with me to Psalm 119, 169 through 176, the passage that Pastor Herb just read for us. We're going to be taking a break from Pastor Reed's service, or series in 2 Kings, and we are going to deal with the last chapter of the mammoth of a, a chapter, Psalm 119. It's the longest uh, psalm, it's the longest chapter in the Bible, and uh, if you haven't been here through it, often on Sunday evenings when I filled in for Pastor Reed, I've been working my way uh, through Psalm 119. Uh, through the last two years or so, and now we finally come to the end of Psalm 119, the last passage in the chapter in the Bible that, that focuses on the Word of God. And as we consider this passage this morning, I want to direct our attention immediately to the very last verse. Look with me at Psalm 119, 176. It says, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. I want to direct our attention uh, to this last verse as I believe it helps us interpret the rest of the passage. So the rest of the verses we're going to deal with this morning, I believe this last verse, without this verse, and even depending on how you take this last verse, we could miss what the psalmist is trying to say in this whole passage. So this verse 176 is the key verse for our passage. It's a verse that uses a picture to communicate its message. The psalmist compares himself to a wandering sheep. If you look again at the beginning of verse 176, it says, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. 
This phrase, gone astray, means to, to wander, to wander away from the flock, is, is the picture that the psalmist is, is creating here, a sheep that's with its flock, with its shepherd, and it wanders away from the flock. Ultimately, it wanders into dangers. In this, this phrase, this beginning of the verse, I have gone astray like a lost sheep, some would take this, this phrase to speak of or just to talk about the dangers that the psalmist is in. He's trying to relate um, this, this picture to the dangers he's in, and, and more specifically, they, they believe and they take this verse as, as the psalmist talking about the enemies that he's dealing with, that, that he's dealing with enemies, they bring him into danger um, and cause trouble on his life, and, and really that is what a lot of Psalm 119 has dealt with. It's talked about the psalmist's enemies, he's been real about the attacks he's dealing with. So some, as, as we read, I have gone astray like a lost sheep, they take this as saying, he's talking about the dangers uh, that he is ultimately dealing with from people. But I think rather the psalmist is trying to communicate not what others have done to him by using this picture, but rather what he has done to himself by wandering away from his shepherd, God. I believe by giving this picture of a sheep straying from the flock, he's speaking of how he tends to stray from the word of God, how he sins, how often he does not faithfully live for God. One reason I believe we should take this, this verse or this view of verse 176 that the psalmist is referring to sin in his life is because he says, I, I have gone astray. He puts the blame on himself. He doesn't say someone else has led him astray or someone else has brought him into danger, but he places the blame solely on his own shoulders. The second reason I believe we should understand this key verse this way is because of how this phrase gone astray is used in the scriptures. The phrase gone astray is just one word in the Hebrew and it's actually used in Psalm 119 earlier. Psalm 119.110 says, The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Clearly talking about if he would stray, he would not be following God's word. He'd be turning. He'd be straying from the word of God. This word is actually used in a lot, a lot of other places in the scriptures as well to refer to someone wandering from God and his word. One such example I think is familiar to many of us. In Isaiah 53, 6, it says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. In Isaiah, the, the picture again is of a sheep, just like our passage, going astray. And, and he goes on to explain it and he says, We have turned everyone to his own way. He's talking about sin, doing what you want rather than what God wants. So, this is what I believe the psalmist is talking about as he closes Psalm 119 by saying, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. He's giving the picture of what he does, how he struggles with sin, how even as a believer he strays from the word of God from time to time. But in saying this, and as we consider verse 176 at the beginning of this message, I, I think it's important to stress and to make clear that I don't believe we should think this is describing the psalmist as leaving the faith or, or as rejecting God completely. But rather, he's, he's describing a struggle with sin giving into sin, 
but then repenting. And I believe this is made clear from this last verse. If you look again with me at our key verse, Psalm 119, 176, he says, I've gone astray like a lost sheep. And then he says, first, seek your servant. And then second, he says, for I do not forget your commandments. He says, God, seek your servant. Seek means to find, to, to search. He's saying, God, come after me. God, restore me. God, bring me to realize my sin. Bring me to conviction and repentance. So this request shows that the psalmist, he hasn't left, his, left the faith, but he fell into sin, he realizes it, and he sees an issue with it. There's, there's a big difference between those two things. The second thing he says at the very end of verse 176 that shows he has not turned from the faith completely as he says, for I do not forget your commandments. The psalmist says things like this all throughout our passage. We're going to see that this morning. All showing that he very much still believes in God and he still very much wants to keep his word. But this part specifically is saying, though he has sinned, he still desires to serve God. He still, still wants to follow God. He's not in a state of rebellion toward God, nor is he habitually giving into sin. But he remembers the word of God and, and he seeks to follow it. What I believe we have in Psalm 119, 176 is what Jesus calls in the Beatitudes, poor in spirit. It's an acknowledgement of sin. A realization that you're not perfect, but even as a Christian, you still struggle with sin and at the same time, still have a desire to live more faithfully for God. So I've gone to all this work and I've started our message by bringing out this key verse, the last verse of the passage, because as I said, this is the key verse of this section. You get this wrong and you get a different understanding and emphasis of these verses. You get this wrong, and, and I think we miss out on a, a unique portion to Psalm 119. It's a humble closing to such a grand psalm. So that is the key verse for our section. The very last verse of our passage, Psalm 119, 176, says again, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. This is really the, the umbrella that all of the other verses fall under. Even though it comes last, I believe we should take this verse and, and really keep it in mind as we work our way uh, through the rest of the passage. So the theme for this passage will be, we see how the psalmist relates to God and his word as he recognizes his sinfulness. Repeat that again. We see how the psalmist relates to God and his word as he recognizes his sinfulness. So we'll break our passage down into three sections. We'll consider first his grief from the first two verses. Second, we'll consider his praise from verses 171 and 172. And then third, we'll consider his dependence from verses 173 through 175. So we'll look at his grief, his praise, and his dependence as he recognizes his sinfulness. So first, the psalmist mourns before the Lord in light of his sin. Look with me at the first two verses of our passage, Psalm 119, 169, and 170. It says, Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. So at first reading, and, and if I didn't start out the way I did with our, with our key verse, the last verse, 
And as we kind of think about this in the context of Psalm 119, if we came to these two verses, it seems as if the psalmist is crying out to the Lord because of his suffering and, and specifically his suffering on behalf of his enemies or caused by his enemies. Over and over again in Psalm 119, the psalmist, he brings up those who are attacking him. And even just several sections before ours, he has done exactly this. He cries out to God for help from his enemies. So it seems as if that is what he is talking about as our passage opens. That is exactly why I started as I did with our last verse, the key verse of our passage. The psalmist, he isn't crying because of an enemy. He's not praying to God to deliver him from someone hurting him. But rather the psalmist is crying out, he's pleading with God concerning his sin. Remember how he closes this section. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. In these two verses, we find the psalmist grieves his sin and brings it to the Lord in prayer. Look again with me at verse 169. He says, let my cry. This word cry is not just a, a tear drop trickling down your cheek, but it is an intensely, an intensely emotional and deeply felt mournful cry. It's, it's a lament. So it's not just a teardrop, but it's intensely felt. Look down then at 170, and he says, let my plea. The word plea speaks of a cry for mercy. He's begging God for compassion. So from these words, cry and plea, the psalmist shows he is wrecked by his sin. He's sobbing because of his sin. He realizes that he has done wrong. He's sinned, and he recognizes it, and he turns to God, and he begs him to treat him how he doesn't deserve. We see his going to God further in both of these verses where it's repeated that he comes before you. Speaking of God, in Psalm 119, 169, he says, Let my cry, and then here's the repeated phrase, Come before you, O Lord. And then in 170, he says, let my plea come before you. Now I want to look briefly at, at the second half of these two verses. They show a desire to follow the word of God. So though the psalmist, he's grieved and is mourning because of his sinfulness, at the same time, he has a desire to turn from it. He, he wants to live differently. Look again at 169. He says, let my cry come before you, O Lord. And then he says, give me understanding according to your word. And then in Psalm 119, 170, he says, let my plea come before you. And then here's his request. He says, Del deliver me according to your word. So in verse 169, he is saying, help me understand. Help me to grasp the truth of your word so that I can live differently. So that I can turn from my sin and live differently. And then in verse 170, he is asking God not to rescue him from enemies, but to rescue him from his own sin. So the psalmist is not just wrecked because of his sin and the consequences it's brought with no intention on turning from it, but he's wrecked because of his sin and he seeks to live differently. So application. Have you ever cried because of your sin? Have you ever been grieved by the wrong you had done? And even further, we take it one step further, have you done so before the Lord and sought to change, sought to turn from that sin? There's a difference between crying because of your sin 
And then on the other hand, crying because of your sin, crying to God and asking him to help you to live differently, realizing you've disobeyed and that you need to live differently. There's a difference between these two. I want to take us to a text. You're, you're welcome to turn there. You can just listen as I read. We'll just be there briefly. We see this laid out in one of Paul's letters, Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church. 2 Corinthians 7, verses 9 through 11. We see this difference between being grieved by your sin, but then on the flip side or, or differently is being grieved and wanting to turn from it, wanting to live differently. 2 Corinthians 7, and I'll begin at verse 9. He says, As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So Paul contrasts godly grief and worldly grief. Godly grief he speaks of as leading to repentance. You realize you've sinned against God and you desire to turn from that sin and live differently. When Paul speaks of a worldly grief, he's talking about being upset over sin, but, but in a selfish way. Being upset about what you've lost or how your relationships have been broken or how people look at you. Being grieved only because of the consequences and how it impacts you. This grief doesn't necessarily lead to repentance. You, you might be sad for a time because of how this has negatively impacted you, and then a couple months later, you turn and go right back to the way you were living. What we see in Psalm 119, 169, and 170 is this godly repentance, this godly grief. The psalmist is definitely upset, and in the second half of these verses, we see this desire to, to want to be delivered from his sin. He wants to turn from it and live differently. That's his request to God in his sin. So I'd ask you, as you consider your sin, is this your desire when you sin? Or is your desire only for things to go back to normal, to gain back the things you've lost, to, to rid of the consequences that came from your sin? And then second for application, as we think about these first two verses, I also want us to consider this grief for our sin and consider how much we grieve those small sins. Those sins we tend to write off and, and even excuse. White lies, a word of gossip, a lustful thought, a judgmental statement, a complaint, discontentment, jealousy, anger. We think about crying about our sin. Maybe it's when we really sin or we think we really sinned. But I'd ask you, are we grieved by even those sins? Those sins we tend to write off and excuse. Do we bring them before the Lord and, and mourn over those sins and repent of them? Do we deeply feel that we've disobeyed God and rebelled against God even with those sins? Okay, the psalmist doesn't tell us the specific sin that he's struggling with or he's, that he's dealt with. So I think we need to think about all of our sins here and ask ourselves, are we grieved by them? Are we grieved by them? 
So as the psalmist considers his sin, we see first that he mourns his sin before God, and he seeks to live differently. Second, we find the psalmist worships God in light of his sin. Look with me at Psalm 119, 171 through 172. 171 and 172, it says, My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. In both verses, we find praise to God. The psalmist, he's worshiping God. And in both of these verses, we find the same reason for praising God, and that is his word. He's praising God, but he's specifically praising God for his word. And as we think about these two verses, yet again, we need to keep in mind that umbrella they fall under. The psalmist is writing this section of Psalm 119 in light of his sin. He praises God as he considers his sin and failure to keep his word. So we'll consider these two verses expressing the psalmist's worship one by one. Look with me again at 171. Psalm 119, 171 says again, My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. This verse gives us some nice imagery. It says, My lips will pour forth. To pour forth gives us the imagery of water gushing out and flowing. So too is words of praise and worship. They gush out. They, they flow out of his mouth. And we get the reason why praises gush out of his mouth as he says in the second half, for you teach me your statutes. The psalmist worships God because he has learned God's word. He praises God for teaching him from his word. He worships God because God has shown him how he desires for him to live his life. Application, I'd ask you to consider, could your lips be described as gushing with praise and worship to God, and even more so praising him for teaching you his word. One of the greatest ways God teaches us his word is through the preaching of his word. My question to you is, do you walk away from a sermon on Sundays? Do you walk away from a sermon worshiping God for the opportunity to learn his word? As we're brought to recognize our sin, how sinful we are, we should Value. We should thank God for the opportunity to learn how to live rightly from his word as it's preached each Sunday. Now consider with me the second verse we find this praise, Psalm 119, 172. You look again there as I read. It says, my tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. Here again, the reason for worship is the word of God. As, as the psalmist says, my tongue will sing of your word. God's word causes the psalmist to sing and to bring praise to God. Application, all too often our reaction to the word of God is not singing, but complaining. Maybe not outwardly, but inwardly we're groaning. Looking at it as a chore when we have to read it or when we have to hear it taught. We look at it as something unpleasant that we need to read or listen to. I'd ask you to think about what needs to change so that you sing praises to God for giving you his word. Maybe just your view of it, realizing this is no ordinary book. Also, considering the results and what it can bring you may help, you, may help cause you to sing praises 
Just thank God that he's given you his word. Look with me again at verse 172, and we see the specific reason he sings of God's word. He says, my tongue will sing of your word. Now consider what he says next. For all your commandments are right. The specific reason he sings concerning the word is because of what the word is. He simply says, it is right. For all your commandments are right. He's saying God's word teaches the correct way to live. He's saying God's word leads to right behavior and speech and thought. And in comp comparison to the psalmist who is quite aware of his sin, this attribute of the word of God means a lot. It's the one he mentions, that it's right, it's correct. He struggles with sin and falls into sin. God's word leads him away from that sin. He often does not live how he should, but the word of God teaches him how he should live. The psalmist has gone astray, and the word of God brings him back to the flock. Because it's right. Because it's the, it lays out the correct way to live. Application. So too, as we consider our sin and our struggle with sin, we should bring praise and honor to God for giving us his word, which teaches us to do what is right. How it looks to live a life of godliness. We should thank God that he has made it abundantly clear how we should live, what the correct way is to live, that we have the Bibles before us that can teach us the right way to live our lives. He's made it abundantly clear to us. And as I thought about these two verses this week in my, my study, and as I thought about bringing praise and worship to God as we consider our sin, I, I was brought to think about what this isn't. What might seem similar, even things, examples of it in the Scripture that, that might sim seem similar, but the psalmist is definitely not talking about this. You're welcome to turn there. But I'll read for us, and we'll just briefly consider Amos 5, 21 through 24. God's talking about Israel's worship here and their sin. What it might seem like our passage is talking about. But what we find in Amos and what we find here in Psalm 119 is not at all the same. They're two very different things when it comes to praise and sin. Amos 5, 21 begins, and this is God speaking, I hate, I despise your feasts. And I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs, and to the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. God says he hates their worship. He says he does not accept their worship, and it is because of their sin. And at the end of this passage, verse 24, he shows their sin as he calls them to justice, as he calls them to, to live righteously. The people of Israel in this Amos passage, they were trying to worship God while still living in sin, while not repenting of their sin. They were outwardly or religiously trying to act like they were obeying God when they really were not. They were living in sin. The people Amos was prophesying to, they were specifically not treating others rightly. So these people praise God in their sin, in their unrepentant sin. 
This is not what the psalmist is talking about in Psalm 119. Yes, the psalmist has sinned. Yes, the psalmist is praising God. But the difference is he's seeking to live rightly. He desires to obey God. He's broken because of his sin. And he praises God, not acting like he's obeying. He's not praising God as a show, but he's genuinely praising God for his word, which helps him to live rightly. And he worships God because of God, because God has given him his word. So application, as we think about this contrast, I'd ask you to consider your worship. Are you seeking to worship God just outwardly while continuing to live in unrepentant sin like the people Amos was addressing? Or are you seeking to worship God having repented and praising God specifically as our passage calls us to, to praise him for his word that teaches us to live rightly? Which one characterizes your sin? So we've seen the psalmist mourn over his sin, and now we see he worships God in his sin. And now third, we see the psalmist looks for God's help in light of his sin. Look with me at Psalm 119, and this section covers 173 through 175. It says, let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord. And your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you, and let your rules help me. So far in our passage, the psalmist, he's been looking to God to hear him, hear his cry, hear his praise, and now he comes and he calls God to act on his behalf in the last three verses that we'll consider. In these three verses, the psalmist, he shows that he's resting and he's depending on God. He's looking for his help in the midst of his sin. We've already seen this brought up in the first two verses as we thought about how he asks for understanding, how he asks for deliverance. But here it's the focus of these verses. You look with me uh, at the beginning of the first two, and then we'll look at the whole of the third. Look with me at verse 173. He says, let your hand be ready to help me. And then in 174, he says, I long for your salvation, O Lord. And then in verse 175, he says, let my soul live and praise you. And then he says, and let your rules help me. The psalmist shows here that he's looking for God's help to live an upright life. The psalmist is looking for God to, to assist him, to enable him, to strengthen him, to resist sin, and to follow his word. The psalmist shows in these three verses that the solution to, to going astray, going astray like a sheep, is the Lord. He can't do it alone. He can't do it resting on his own strength, but he needs the Lord if he's going to resist, if he's going to resist sin and to seek to obey God. And we see the psalmist, he gives a specific way that God brings help, that God brings deliverance in sin. You look again at verse 173 with me. He says, let your hand be ready to help me. And then go to verse 175. He says, let my soul live and praise you and let your rules help me. It's the same word, help, in both of these verses. And then we come to verse 175 in this specific help as he talks about God's rules, God's words helping him. It's through the word of God that God helps the psalmist live rightly. It's by reading, it's by studying, it's by memorizing and meditating on the word of God that can help the psalmist not go astray 
but continue following his shepherd. Psalm 119's already said as much in two pretty familiar verses that you might even have memorizes. It's pointed out how God uses his word to keep, to keep us from sin. Psalm 119 verse 9 says, How can a young man keep his boy pure? By guarding it according to your word. And then in Psalm 119.11, it says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So application. I'd ask you to consider first, do you look to the Lord in your fight against sin? Or do you rest upon your own strength? When you realize you're, you're struggling with the sin, you're tempted towards a sin, are you trying to resist on your own? Maybe come up with rules that you can avoid these things, or do you rest upon the Lord? The psalmist shows here, he shows a trust in the Lord. It does not end when he becomes saved, but it continues throughout his life. So it's not just he makes a profession of faith, and, and, or he trusts in the Lord when he first becomes a Christian, then never has to again, but it's a continual thing all throughout his life. Second, consider if you rest upon God's word to help you fight sin in your life. It's what the psalmist mean, means when he says, or he speaks to God, letting his rules help him. Do you turn to the word to be challenged and convicted by it? Maybe do you memorize specific portions that address head-on a temptation that you're facing? A third application point of application here is as you read your Bible and, and further as you study, study your Bible to teach it, I'd ask you, do you seek to be changed by it? Are you reading? Are you studying just to gain knowledge or just to produce a lesson? Or as you read your Bible daily, do you ask yourself, how can I apply this truth to my life? Maybe as you go to prepare a Sunday school lesson or, or a Wednesday night lesson or a Bible study, you ask first, as you study, how can I apply this truth to my life? How am I not doing this? How does my life need to change because of what God's word says here? And, and if you think especially of teaching, the temptation is to think about maybe what this has to do with others' lives. What do my hearers have to, to get from this? And we completely miss ourselves. The challenge here is, as we read the Bible, as we study the Bible, to realize that it is meant to help us to live godly lives. It's, how, it's meant to help us fight sin. It's used by God to continue to transform us into the image of Christ. And then a fourth and a last point of application here after, under this third section is consider how the psalmist says again in verse 174, I long, I long for your salvation, O Lord. The psalmist's prayer is not salvation from enemies, but sin. The psalmist is praying that God would keep him from sin and temptation. He's praying that God would save him from the world's influence, from, from Satan. We often pray that God would spare us from our enemies. We might pray that, that he would protect you from people's words, people making fun of you, people attacking you. But do we pray the same, that God would keep us from giving into sin, in the danger and the disaster that that sin could bring to our lives. It should be our prayer that God would guard us from sin and temptation, that God would guard us from the world's influence, from, from Satan's ploys. It should be our prayer that God would keep us from giving into temptation, 
that he would give us the strength to resist, the ability to turn when we're faced with something sinful that's attractive to us. Will you long for God to deliver you from the specific sins you struggle with? Will it be a prayer that you frequently, daily, all throughout the day, pray that God would keep you from giving in to temptation? So what we find in our passage this morning, and even more so as we take it into its greater context as Psalm 119. Okay, this is the closing chapter, as you can see in your Bibles, or the, the closing section of Psalm 119. We find that the psalmist closes in a very humble way. Today, or this morning, we of course, we didn't have the time to look through all Psalm 119, but if, if you read through Psalm 119, the psalmist, you could, you could kind of get the idea that the psalmist is pretty confident that he obeys the word of God, that he follows the word of God. But our passage this morning, and he ends this way, our passage definitely shows that this is not the case, that the psalmist definitely is not arrogant, he's not confident in his own abilities, the psalmist definitely doesn't think he is perfect. He shows, that this, he shows that he loves God's word, he desires to follow it, but sometimes he fails in doing so. The psalmist in our passage this morning, he's very real. He's very honest. He's humble in that he admits that he struggles with sin, and at times he, he fails to follow God's word obediently. And with this, the psalmist is a tremendous example to all of us this morning. As we began with, if you are a Christian this morning, it does not mean you are perfect, and, and actually, you're far from perfect. The psalmist gives us a great example of how we're to deal with our sin, especially as we relate to God's word. We're to grieve our sin and repent of it. We should worship God for giving us the Bible, which leads us to live rightly. And then lastly, we saw we should depend on God and his word as we seek to fight our sin. Let us close with a word of prayer. God, I just thank you for this text. I thank you for how the psalmist closes out Psalm 119, showing that even as Christians, we, we struggle with sin, we're tempted by things, and yet, Lord, you give us the strength, you give us the ability uh, to fight these things, uh, to resist temptation, Lord, I just pray that you would grieve us of our sin, that we would, that it would be intensely felt uh, when we sin, even things that we often excuse, we overlook in our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would just uh, convict us of these things, that we would not only be grieved by them, but repent of them, seek to, to turn, to live differently, to look for your strength to fight them. Lord, we realize that we cannot do this on our own. We realize that we often uh, wander, we're prone to wander, and Lord, we pray for your strength, for your help, uh, that you would help us to, to fight sin in our lives, to help us to obey your word more faithfully, and Lord, we pray that you would continue to change our hearts, to continue to transform us so that uh, the things of you, your commandments, uh, would be more attractive to us uh, than sin. Lord, I just pray that you would give us this um, ability I uh, pray that you would give us the strength in this, and Lord, we, we thank you for saving us. And I pray that you'd help us to trust in you each and every day uh, as we live our lives. In your name I pray, amen.